Join me every month for the inspiration to find your finish line. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Find Your Finish Line. A big thank you to our presenting sponsor, Activice, the official topical pain relief partner of Iron Man, fast cooling gel. Man, you got to put this stuff on before you head out for your workouts for all those aches and pains. It truly works. You can find it on Amazon at Walmart and Ironman.com. Find Your Finish Line is not only about you being able to find your finish line at a race or an event, but in life. We've got to find finish lines every day to get through the day. And I have guests on that can help us do that and inspire us. And my guest today has been inspiring since the the 80s. He won his first Ironman World Championship in 1986. He's a six-time Ironman World Champion. Let's welcome to the show Mr. Mark Allen. Yeah, great to be here. That first win was 1989. You got it close. You were close. I what I say? 86. That was that was. Oh my god, I'm an idiot. That was that other guy. I'm an idiot because look at I. My first year was 89. I've never made that mistake in my life. So I even got the 89 (laughs) poster here of you and Dave. I don't believe I did that. That's a good way to start off the podcast. (laughs) You know, throw something out there that you've known for a thousand years and it comes out different. I wonder if something's going on up there. (laughs) The other day I was recording something. I said, "We'll see you later." Coming at you, Mike Allen. Like, what? what? (laughs) I didn't even get the name right. Maybe I was channeling you, Mike Riley, Mark Allen. Who knows? We're, we were separated at birth anyway, so who cares? Yeah, that's right. We were. I brought uh, Michael Lovato up on stage. He was top 10 in Kona one year. I think he was like ninth. And I had just gotten off the phone with my brother, Patrick, right before the ceremony. And for some reason, when I brought him up, I go, all right, Patrick Lovato from the USA. He almost flipped me off as he was coming up on stage. Like, what are you? D- oh, my God. I'm sorry, Mike. He goes, why'd you call me Patrick? <laughs> hey, if we were all perfect, then nobody would like us, would they? Right, exactly. <laughs> well, Mark, you're a, you're a mentor. You're a coach. You've got the great Zwift coaching going on. I mean, so many people are getting into that. Uh, but I get asked a lot about the former pros before we get into this about talking about St. George, the 2021 World Championship, is what do you, what do, you do now to, to stay in shape? What's your, what's your workout routine now like? Well, that, the answer starts with the goal, and the goal for me right now is really to live a long life, a healthy life, you know, push that, that slide, you know, to, to the end day where I take the last <laughs> breath, push, push that out as far as I can and have a real good quality of life along the way. And so for me, basically, I, I kind of have this goal to just each and every day do some kind of exercise. You know, for me, I, a lot of what I do is I surf. I live in Santa Cruz, California, two blocks from a really great surf break. So throw on the wetsuit, walk down, paddle out. Don't even have to get in a car. That's my that's my yeah, that's, uh, yeah. part to reducing carbon emissions. Um, but I also uh, really focus on doing strength training consistently because, you know, us old guys, we lose that muscle. I know. And, you know, you want to look good going down the beach. So uh, anyway, <laughs> you know, I do strength training because that really, really helps keep everything toned and, and makes me feel like, you know, when I actually am out there doing any cardiovascular work, I can actually still do it. I also do a little bit of walking slash running. You know, I actually started um, doing walking during COVID because I had time and I realized, you know, this is actually yeah. a great, great exercise. 
And um, then I, uh, as you mentioned, I, I do some rides uh, indoors only nowadays. Every Tuesday night, I ride on Zwift at six o'clock Pacific time. And so I just really mix it up. And for me, that's also important as you kind of age up. Uh, I have found anyway, if you're doing one sport all the time, you kind of end up, you can dig a rut mm. and at some point you can get injured. You know, I mean, look at, look at old runners. A lot of them have had a lot of recurring injuries. However, if you're mixing it up as triathletes or someone like me does, you never quite dig that rut deep enough. And so it really feels like you can also um, uh, avoid getting injuries. And at my age, right. consistency is king. You know, I read an article you, you, about the muscle mass thing. And you're right, as you get older, you start losing it. But it was the older generation and alcohol and drinking. And the article, I had no idea about this. When you're younger, you have more muscle mass, and muscle mass retains water. You stay, you're much better hydrated. So you could drink more. Well, all of a sudden you get older, you've got less muscle mass and sometimes more fat cells, and they don't retain water. So when you, I've got friends that go, well, let's have a beer and then a water beer. I go, it's too late for that because we just pee it out. There's no, there's nothing keeping all that water in. So the muscle mass goes to, through lifestyle, through working out, the whole deal. <laughs> well, and also, you know, on the science level there, alcohol kind of competes with a lot of the same stuff that protein metabolism does. And so if you're mm. drinking a lot of alcohol, it also inhibits your body. It slows your body's ability to rebuild that muscle that you break down during right. workouts. So it makes it harder to actually lay down that lean muscle mass. Um, but, you know, old, old person, well, yay, you're a cheap date. doesn't take much, right? Yeah, really, one glass of wine, we're fine. <laughs> That's all it takes. Okay, well, Mark, you're not really my guest. You're my co-host because we're going to go back and forth and talk about the 2021 Ironman World Championships, which is held May 7th of 2022 in St. George, Utah, which they call the land of endurance. But I want to start with you before we get into the uh, male and female pros. Let's start with the area that everybody's talking about is the course. Why do you think over the years, even though the course has been difficult, that St. George 1 has had a draw? People love doing it. Uh, and, and But why is everybody just so, I, you know, filled up with worrying about the course? People don't talk about it that much, even about the Kona course or Lanza Road or Nice, like you did that. It, but something about this St. George course seems to have everybody in a tizzy. Well, St. George, uh, the Ironman, and, and the 70.3 Worlds, as you know from past September, it um, it has kind of a one-two punch. Not only is the bike hilly, but the run is hilly. There's, there's over 7,000 feet of climbing on on the bike and I think over 1500 or so, at least on, on the run, Kona has about 5,000 and about 500 or something. It, it, so it's a significant difference. There are, uh, hilly, um, uh, Ironman races around the world, but almost all of them other than Ironman Wales have relatively flat run courses. So for example, Nice has a little bit more climbing than St. George, but the runs flat and the same with Lanzarote. It just doesn't have the same difficulty of the run. And so it, it just adds this level of complexity because you can go hard on the bike, you can put time on your competitors, but you cannot float through that run. You still have to have so much reserve to be able to run well. And, and so that really, for me, brings up a, an interesting question. It's like, who's, who's best suited for that course? 
you know, and looking at 70.3 Worlds in September, as you mm-hmm. know, Mike, you, you were there and, and you saw Gustav Eden and, and Lucy Charles just absolutely crush. They crushed because they had good runs. And if, if, I, if I sort of go into my uh, historic memory banks and I look back at the races in Kona that were very windy, meaning very, very tough course, as, as you know, if there's more wind, the, the bike on, in Kona is much harder um, the toughest windy days were the ones where the best runners won. It wasn't that wasn't those were not the days when the best cyclists run. Who were some of those? Well, Heather Fear and Lori Bowden. They both won on very very difficult cycling days, which is kind of counterintuitive. You think, hey, if the bike's really hard, then you know the cyclists are going to crush and the marathoners are never going to catch up. Well, maybe the cyclists put a lot of time on on the good marathoners. But it took so much out of them that they just had nothing left for the marathon. St. George, if you have nothing left for that marathon, you're you're, you're going to go. Mm, this I, I had the wrong strategy to try to get a five minute lead or a ten minute lead off this bike. Well, Mark, so many of the pros, thinking ten on the male side, 10 on the female side, I'm thinking about a lot of them have the same running ability. They're really not that separated that far apart on, on their times or the races in the past that they've done with those types of times. How do you think that's going to play out then? Is, is, would someone go, you know, he runs about the same as me. Should I try to get off the bike, you know, 12 minutes before him or before her? You think that type of strategy is going to come into play? You know, when you're a, when you're a professional, the, the differences are very, very small. Granted, you know, the the men, the women, they're they're working at ninety nine and a half percent of their genetic capacity, and they're all kind of you know in a very narrow, rarefied air range, of course. So, but yeah. the thing is, even small differences. When the more difficult the course, the more difficult the conditions. <clears throat> As you know, the, those differences suddenly magnify get magnified mm-hmm. in terms of what happens at, by the time you get to the finish line. So, you know, think, think about an Ironman in general. You know, the difference between a good swim and a bad swim might be, what, three minutes, five minutes. The difference between a most, good yeah. bike and a bad bike might be 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. But as you know, and you have seen, the difference between a good marathon and one where you fall apart can be an hour, an hour and a half. And so even though the, the differences on paper in other races might be small, um, those small differences are going to make huge, going to have a huge impact on, on the field and on what happens. And not only that, but one thing that's really interesting for me, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, is that none of these people, none of the athletes who are going to be racing as pros there have raced each other in an Ironman since 2019. And a lot, and a lot of the the up-and-comers have never raced any of the top guys before. Gustav Eden, Kirsten Blumenfeld, they have never raced Jan Frodeno in an Ironman. No, so no. what is going to take place in the minds of these folks when it's not just you know one or two guys, it's not just Lionel Sanders and Sam Long going head-to-head. There's this huge field. There's this depth of field, and there's so much more dynamic and unpredictability that can take place. So how do you, how do you manage that? How do you create a strategy that can deal with a thousand different scenarios. I, I, you know, I've thought about this quite a bit because you're exactly right. Some haven't even, you know, probably met one another, let alone raced against each other. Uh, I think it's going to end up being, Mark, 
the the one with the strongest mental strength and patience is going to be the one that's going to figure it all out. You know, the Jan Ferdinos can show up, the Daniela Reeves, the Lucys, they can show up and go, all right, I'm going to give it my all and give it my game. But then all of a sudden you've got the mix in there of Gustav and Lionel and Sam Long and and uh, Cameron Worf and, Worf and all of a sudden they're they're everybody saying to each other, my gosh, he could win, she could win, she could. I still think it's going to come down to the smartest and the one that's the strongest mentally. I, I really do. G- genetics and, and uh, how they did on their training, how they, you know, worked up to it. The races prior, Sam Long's just won a couple of races. Wow, he's hot. And I, I think that goes all out the window there in St. George. I, I really mm-hmm. do. Yeah, you know, Sam won uh, his, his first two races this season. And, um, mm-hmm. but they, you know, the, the first race that he won, was you know that was a valid win the second one down in chile was you know it was a smaller field but, right. but those just don't replicate the kind of pressure uh the the distance you know they were both 70.3 distance and um so it's going to be it, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with that and and some of the some of the folks have done some early season races and they haven't fared as well as they expected anyhow right she she had a kind of a, a slow run in um, Lanzarote, and so did um, Christian Blumenfeld in Dubai. He, you know, he kind of probably went in there thinking he could win it, but you know, he even admitted in interviews that I saw that he goes he, I, he had some mechanicals on the bike. He said even without the mechanicals, I would not have won. He said I was just off the pace. And so here's a guy who's a gold medalist. He's he was the WTS champion last year. Gold medals last year, WTS champion right. last year, Ironman Cosmel, as we know, running a two thirty five or something, and he has a he has a lousy day. So <clears throat> it just shows the unpredictability. And if there's mechanicals, you've got to have a little bit of luck on your side too. So, Mark, uh, before we get into the uh, uh, specifics of the who they are and who's going to be there, how would the early nineteen nineties Mark Allen? train for this race knowing the course the conditions the competition how would you train for this baby i how would i train for it? that's a great question mike i would i would draw from my um experience racing the zofagan duathlon um oh wow Tough. for those yeah. of you for those of you who don't know it was a 5k run followed by about a, a 75 mile bike ride th- three loops on the bike and then it, the run was about 20 miles and now, the, Mark, the you, you have to preface you have to preface that the five k run because I I ran it before I announced it was probably the hardest five k course. It went it was like thirteen percent gray. Was that it was crazy? It was straight up a little. You go a block <laughs> straight down, straight up, and straight down. And I know. So, you know I I had heard from Ken Souza's who I trained with a lot that the race was difficult, hilly, all that. So I I did what I thought was some really hard hill work going into that event. And the first year, not only did those the, the folks take off at speeds that completely shocked me on that 5K, I thought, you guys are running this 5K like there is nothing you're going to be doing the rest of the day. You're going to be putting your feet up and having a soda after this. Yeah. And then I got on the bike and, you know, I still felt okay. That first loop, second loop, I was like hurting a little bit by the third loop. I was done. You know, I was, I was already <laughs> toast. And then I had to do, you know, the 20 mile run and it was, it was on trail. Nice, great, nice and soft, but it, it was hilly and it was up or it was down. And I ended up fourth. The guy 
who was, I think, 40, 40 years old, beat me, the Swiss guy, little guy, you know, and I'm like, huh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was embarrassing, you know, because <laughs> I was like was young man, really fast at that time. So anyway, I said, okay. I'm going home. <laughs> I'm going home, and I'm going to do my homework, and next year I'm going to come back. And so I did work on hills that were extremely steep, extremely long, um, just over and over and over so that my fitness hopefully was way higher and I was used to doing stuff way harder and way longer than I was going to have to encounter in the race. And so I would take that knowledge of what it took to win on a course that had a hilly bike and a hilly run, and I would put that template onto how I was preparing for St. George, and I would say, okay, you know, this, the, the last whatever, 30, 40% of the bike is where all the hills are. I'd get tired first and then I would go do my hill work and I would do it hard and I would do it long. And the same on, on the running, I would do some very hard uphill running and some very hard downhill running so that on the course in St. George, hopefully it would just kind of seem like, Oh, I've already done this. Yeah. Yeah. And that downhill running is key. I remember back in May at the 70.3 when Lionel out sprinted Sam Long, uh, they both were, uh, Lionel couldn't believe how fast Sam could run downhill. And it's, it's not only an art, you have to train at it. And, and they're going to have to do that too for, for St. George. All right, let's get into the men and women professionals of our sport. And I think I, I said this the other day to someone, I, I, Mark, I, I don't know if you believe this, but I believe our sport is on the cusp of a new history-making era, of an era that's changing the perception of what you can do, uh, short course, long course, whatever it may be, how you can race all distances. You know, we had that back in your day, and Welchie would race them all, you would race, and it kind of went away, and now it's coming back. So I, I, I believe... Our sport is in a good spot of creating its own history. But let's talk about the men. I know Patrick Long, too bad he had a bike crash and he's out. But off the top of your head, who's your list? Who do you think is going to be out there mixing it up when there's only 15K to go on the run? Hmm. Well, um, let's see. Let's let's start with Gustav Eden. Clearly, he excelled on the course in in September 70.3. He excelled. Uh, in Ironman Florida, you know, going sub eight hours in his first Ironman, having a very solid race there. I know that he's training uh, in the Sierra Nevada uh, over in Europe and yeah. um, doing some workouts. I, I actually watched a 35-minute uh, video, Day in the Life of Gustav Eden, training at this training camp he's at, or that he was, you know, that he's preparing for St. George at. And I, th- I think on his run, he did like an hour uphill and then he did intervals for the next hour and he ran 27 kilometers uphill two hours of running the dude is going to be prepared and he even after Ironman Florida he goes you know it was good but I have a lot to learn and so that to me is like a guy who's he knows he's still on that trajectory to go way up from there I think he's he's poised to definitely be on the podium if not top of the podium his countryman, Christian Blumenfeld, again, Ironman Cozumel just blew everybody away. Granted, the time, 721 or whatever, it was a it was a downhill swim, and maybe some of the course was short. However, uh, just an amazing, fast, blistering fast time. And somebody, and they train together, you know. They're, yeah. they're not going to make mistakes, and they know what it takes. They see each other. They elevate each other's performance in their training, which then will carry them into the event. Jan Frodeno, 
if he is on the start line, he will be ready. But to me, that's a that's a big if. And um, you know, I I'm not convinced that he will be on the start line. I I've heard from people that he's going to be there. He's fired up. He's ready to go. He's going to be there. But um, you know, I saw a, a post of him skiing kind of late in the preparation seat part of the phase that in my opinion would be a time when you're going to be swimming biking running and doing nothing else other than that to get ready for st george nothing that would risk uh falling and getting injured and so part of me is like hmm either he's messing with everybody kind of going oh you know i'm kind of cavalier i don't really i don't care about this and he's just crushing or he's not going to show up uh, of I, course I, you've got. I, 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 I got to stop you. I agree with you. I I had a thought of it last night because I saw another post of him skiing. And I go, you know what? He's lying in wait. He's just he's just fooling everybody. He's just out there. It's Jan. He, you're right. If he's going to be at the start line, he's going to be ready because that's who he is. So maybe he is just kind of pulling the wool over everybody, all the everybody else's eyes. It's part of the game. That's for sure. Yeah, and, and I think he was skiing in, in Andorra, and I trained in that part of the Pyrenees when I was competing. And it, you cannot find a place more hilly. It's either up or it's down. And so you, you like there's a there's a training center uh, that's at about six thousand uh, two thousand meters. That was for the French, uh, all the Olympians going to the Mexico City Olympics, and so they needed to train at altitude. They put this training center at. 2,000 meters, 6,000 plus feet. Six, six, it's at the top of this huge plateau. And so from the top, all you can do is go down. And so you do a 25-mile ride, and you've got 12 miles downhill, and then you've got 12 miles to get back up home. And the same with running. It's all up or it's all down. So indeed, he's in the right place to get ready for St. George. Not only will he get the altitude adaptation, but he'll also, you know, he's definitely getting his hills. If He's serious, and maybe he yeah. is pulling the wool over everybody's eyes. May seventh, yeah. we'll know for sure. Yeah, um, we'll we'll, we'll uh, know. Uh, so you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned Gustav, Alistair, uh, uh, Christian, and and Jan. Who else is on that list with you? Well, for sure, Sam Long's got to be in there. You know, he's he he swears that he's improved his swim, and if he has, he has a great shot. Simply because he can he can bike and run with anybody. Uh, but he can't afford to be out of the water five minutes back of, of you know, speedsters like Eden or Jan Frodeno or Christian Blumenfeld. So if indeed his swim is, has come around and he went to Tucson and has been working on it all winter, um, he's, he's, got a, he's got a valid shot for sure. He's fired up. And when he saw the two Norwegians post their, their Ironman times last, last fall, I think he had a little bit of a, a mental breakdown like, Oh my God, I need to get serious. And uh, so he, he, as you know, he canceled his Christmas plans and he just started digging in. So Sam, Lionel, we'll see, you know, he's been working with uh, a very wise coach, you know, and and completely changing his training around. And so a talent like Lionel and, you know, you said patience and, and, and mental fortitude. Well, I don't think there's anybody tougher than Lionel. I would not see for the- I, if if I was with if I was in a bar with Lionel, I want him on my side. 
if a fight broke out. <laughs> he, 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 he's a type. He's a type of guy. Yeah, I think you'd have to kill him just to win, you know, because he's not. He's going to keep coming after you. Uh, that's why I. That's why I think everybody is enamored to him because he's that every every person's working person that goes out there every day, uh, you know, carries that briefcase out of the house and and goes to work and and does it in a in a blue collar like fashion. That's why I think he's got that great following until and everybody always wants to see him do well because they know he may possibly not be as quote unquote talented as some other people out there. Uh, but that's, uh, that's just Lionel. <laughs> Don't you think so? <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I get notifications when he's, uh, when he goes on Zwift and sometimes I see him at all these crazy hours, like this guy, yeah. this guy's training day and night. I swear. Yeah. Crazy. Um, <laughs> Let's see. But, you know, there's it, it's a huge field. There's Daniel Beckegar. There's there's a lot of people. I don't know if Daniel's going to be there. But anyway, th- there's just a lot of talent. Um, I don't know if who Alistair you, is yeah, going to be there I, or not. I see, yeah, Alistair, you don't know. Who, who do you think your dark horse would be? I don't know if it's a dark horse, but I'd say Sam. You know, he. everybody knows him. Everybody is aware of him. But I think... I don't know if anybody's really given him a chance to win it. You know, he was he was second at Ironman 70.3 World Championships on St. George Court in September. There was only one guy who was faster than him. And that was at a time where he had not focused on his swim. So I, I, I think if anybody's made a, a jump in their in their ability that people haven't seen yet, it, it is going to be Sam. Um, what do you think? Who's your Mine- dark horse? My, uh, I, it's, it's Joe Skipper. I, I, if, if mm-hmm. Joe's there, I mean, I've seen some of the training he's been doing. He's, he's always been kind of hot and cold in March of 2020 when he won Ironman New Zealand and we were all together. I mean, he had the race of his life and he's had a couple good events since then and others not so good. So I, I think Joe, even though he's a little older than Sam and other, he's, he's still trying to figure it out, but he's just, I don't know. I just think of him as, as my dark horse. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise anybody if all of a sudden he finished third or fourth or, you know, just because he's a talented guy. So that's, that's my dark horse. You know who my sentimental one is? If he's there at the start line, it's the oldest male professional. You'll love this, Mark. It's Andy Potts. The guy just doesn't go away. <laughs> How old is Andy now? Like 48 or something? What is 45. It? Oh, he's going to hit. Yeah, he's 40, 45. Well, maybe on race day, he's 46. I don't know. But he, he's, he's mid-40s. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, you know, I saw your, your, your podcast with Tim Don that, that posted and, um, you know, not, not only and just incredible, incredible story, but just the fact that, you know, he's 44 and he's, yeah. he's still charging and he sounds like he's 34 and just getting rolling. It's, it's, it's pretty cool to see the older folks who still have that enthusiasm, who still have a body that works. And, and I think a lot of that is attributable to the fact that we do have more things to measure how our body is is doing now and so you know you can spot maybe overtraining a little easier you can you can um, build protocols into your into your training mm-hmm. week so that you go hard but then you also have enough recovery like you know I, I know that uh, Christian and Gustav 
they do really, really hard work, but they also build in very smart recovery days so that so that they don't yeah. get overtrained. We had to do it by feel. We kind of had to go like, let's see how hard we can go until we're ready to go off the cliff, and then let's hope hope that we back off before we really fall off. And so, um, well, and look at Jan. You know, he's he's forty, and he's if he's there, he's going to be vying for world championship. That was unheard of when I started in triathlon. Yeah, when you were racing, did you say, "Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going till I'm 31"? Or was there an age at that time when you go, "Well, I'm, I'm done. It's because I'm 30." Was there an age in your head that I, I had no idea what what age that was going to be? The the one the one um, sort of carrot out there for me was in Mex in Mexico in the LA Olympics when Carlos Lopes won the marathon. I think oh, yeah. he was what was he 30? 37 or 38? 38, 38, 38 yeah. yeah. And so that's when the light bulb went on and something inside said, you know what, you have to re, re, rejigger how you're look, viewing your career and also how you're viewing age. Because if this guy can win a gold medal at 38, then you are not, you don't have to be done at 31 or 33 or 35. Let's just be smart. Right, right. Uh, don't overtrain, don't overrace, and maybe you can carry your career. And so I actually ended up, the last year that I did race, I was 38 years old. There's Thanks, a couple Carlos. other. You were 38 the last year you raced? Yeah. I, I think, didn't we go to the the Bray Brothers race in Honolulu when they had the Criterium? I think that, I think that was one of the last events that you did or you were at. I, I, that I remember. Was, that was. That was my parade lap. I did the the International Grand Prix series. Yeah. They had them in, I think, five events throughout the world that year. And the final one actually was in Phuket, Thailand. And the other ones were that sh very short format, kind of like the Super League stuff in a way, in a right. sense, but outside. Right. Um, however, the last race was a, a straight Olympic distance, not non-drafting. And... Um, I actually finished second to Simon Lessing. I was closing, and I got within 12 seconds of him. And all the other guys who finished third and down, they're like, dude, why are you retiring? I would have given a, my left toe to, like, finish 12 seconds behind Simon Lessing. The dude's a badass, you know? And so anyway, uh, but I knew it was time. And the weirdest thing, I'll tell you, Mike, that the, the weirdest thing was when I was packing my bike into the bike case to, to fly home after the event. And I go, you know what? I have gotten really good at putting this bike in this bike case. And whatever comes next, I will not be as good as I am at this right now, at least at, at first. And it was just a weird thing to go, I will never be this fit again either, yeah. ever in my life. It's a, it was a strange feeling, but uh, kind bet. of freeing and liberating also to know that I didn't have to stay at that level. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll bet. And there's two other men in the race that uh, I, I – if. It can make their mark because they're from New Zealand. I don't know how much they've been training, but Braden Curry and, and Mike Phillips, who have both won Ironman New Zealand, they're just kind of sleepers. Braden's just one of the best all-around athletes. He's won the you know, race across uh, uh, the coast-to-coast -coast in New Zealand and, and won Ironman New Zealand. So my eye's kind of looking out for those Kiwis, and they've had a tough time down there and with mm. the restrictions and everything. So I don't, I don't know how much they may have been training like, like insanely <laughs> amount of training because that's all they can do. So we'll see how they do. Hold on everyone. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. I just finished up a run and Activite's the official topical pain relief partner of Ironman. 
keeps me going. Don't let strain and pain keep you from your training, keep you from finding your finish line. Activites comes in three different applications, roll-on, spray, and gel. Check out all the products on Amazon.com, at Walmart, and Ironman.com, and have Activites help you find your finish line. Mark, I never asked you about Oceanside. I mean, Oceanside 70.3, uh, I'm jealous because you were there and I wasn't there, uh, which uh, it kind of pained me for a little while, but I was with family and everything worked out great. But let's talk quickly about Oceanside because now that that race has come and gone, uh, do you think that has a factor or a play with a few of the athletes? that were in Oceanside that are doing St. George? Uh, yes and no. I mean, uh, um, you know, a lot of the great performances that came out of Oceanside are, were from people who will not be in St. George, i.e. the two champions, you know, Taylor <laughs> Nibb, who just absolutely put her stamp on the race. I mean, she's been putting her stamp on every race she does pretty much, you know, uh, uh, going back to last fall even. Um, but she really just took control of the event right from the very first, right from the swim for the women. Amazing run, amazing bike. And then, you know, she didn't really even have to push the run, I don't think, even though I'm sure she did, because that's kind of how she's hardwired, you know. She just goes for it. Uh, and then for the men, Jackson Laundry, really, you know, showing that he's arrived on the scene and, you know, out, out running uh, Alistair Brownlee, you know, holding on, making sure that Alistair didn't get too far ahead and then closing that gap. And then, as we saw, Alistair fell back into fourth place. Um, so those two will not be in St. George. So that that didn't have any effect necessarily on, you know, what will be taking place on May 7th. However, the piece that for me was really, really interesting was um, Lionel Sanders' race. As any of you saw who were watching the event live or read, read a lot of the reports, um, he, was, he was quite a ways off the back uh, starting the run. I think it was, you know, two and a half, 245, something like mm-hmm. that, which is kind of unusual for Lionel. I mean, his bike is, you know, one of the absolute best. He's one of the best cyclists in the sport. And for him to not really make up time on the bike was like, what's up? What's up, Lionel? You know, and I think a lot of us sort of watching Lionel over the past, you know, whatever, six, eight months, we were waiting to see the effect of his new coach on his performance. You know, Gustav Eden's brother now coaching him, Lionel admitting that he's completely changed the way that he's, uh, that he's approaching his training, doing a lot more aerobic work and, you know, forget the details. The bottom line is we were all like, What's going to show in the race? Well, getting off the bike, it looked like he's in worse shape than he's ever been. So that didn't look so impressive. But then, you know, he's kind of staying steady. And and then all of a sudden, like the last 5K of that run, he just closed this massive gap on every single person. Had ended up with the fastest run of the day, the fastest run. And and Jackson ran really well. Lionel outran him by at least a minute and a half, something like that. Turns out Lionel had some... Uh, it, it, issues on the bike that prevented him from actually putting in the ride that he wanted to. He told me what those were. I'm not going to reveal them because he did not reveal them publicly. So let me just say this. Going into St. George, Lionel is somebody that we have not seen how truly fit he is yet. But St. George, I think, is going to be 
he's going to be very, very tough to beat. Of course, there are a lot of other guys who are going to be very tough to beat, but Lionel is right there with the best of them, in my opinion. Mark, you, you, you got me all excited now for this race even more. I mean, I've been, I've been thinking about it for so long, and, and I don't know if it's the because we're in a new place, we're in a new land, we're on a new course, everything's new. It's like the first time having a world championship, which it is and in the U.S. mainland, but uh, that's exciting. So it's going to be something to see. Let's move on. We've talked a lot about the men. Let's move on to the women's race. And now that we all know that Lucy Charles Barkley is not going to be in the race, and, you know, just like you suspect, uh, you suspect Jan might not be at the start line. We know for sure that Lucy's not going to be there. It's confirmed. She's got a hip issue. She's on crutches. Uh, and that changes the entire, at least I believe, it changes the entire dynamic of the women's race. How do you see the complexion of that race now without yeah, Lucy in know, the race? Uh, condolences to Lucy for having that injury. Clearly not. There's no great time to have an injury. There's no great time to have, uh, you know, any kind of a stress fracture in your hip. We saw Jan have to miss Kona a couple of years ago with something similar. Yeah. And, um, you know, especially the way Lucy had been just building and then having 70.3 World Championship last year, that race with her incredible run performance, everybody was like, oh, my God, I can't wait till next May to see what she can do in a full Ironman. Well, we're going to have to wait a little bit longer. What that does is it, in my opinion, it opens up the door to um, a very different dynamic of the race because it's not going to be Lucy Charles out in front and everybody else trying to figure out how they're going to catch her. There's going to be a lot of athletes who are going to be together. You know, for example, you've got the, the defending champ, Anna Haug, who's going to be coming in hoping to make it uh, a second world title. She didn't have a great uh, 70.3 in, in Lanzarote in one of her prep races. So is she fit? Is she ready? We don't know. She was experimenting with training at altitude. She came down to that race. Uh, didn't have the run that she normally does, even though it was one, you know, a, a decent run for anybody else, any other human yeah. being. So a question mark there. <laughs> another, another athlete that is, is really looks like she's on top of her game is Laura Phillip. She had an incredible race in uh, 70.3 Dubai, um, you know, just putting, putting an, an amazing performance out there. She's, she's someone who I think now has taken over, and this is just my opinion, of course, but I think she's taken over that, that favorite spot at the top. And, you know, clearly uh, Daniela Reef is, she's out there training. Uh, she was going to be going from Oceanside out to, Utah or, or Arizona. I think she's in Flagstaff, actually. And um, she's getting ready. You know, she doesn't want to go into uh, St. George having another race where things don't work for her. Can she turn it around? I don't know. What do you think, Mike? Well, I, first of all, I find it pretty surprising. I never thought that we'd start a conversation on an Ironman uh, World Championship on the female side, and Daniela, Daniela's name comes up third on the list. Uh, so I still have this, I still have this feeling about her that she should be the one to beat. Whether she will be, I don't know. 
her resume proves she should be the one to beat. But we all go on past, short past history, and Danny's had a tough time the last year and a half or so. Uh, so I, I do agree with you on Annie. I, I think she can, if she, if she can get out of the water in that second pack of swimmers, uh, she can catch some people on the bike. We know what she can do on the run. Laura Phillips still is an unknown. Well, she's not an unknown, but she's, uh, one that really, I don't think anybody really knows what her potential is yet. And either does she. So it's, uh, I, I'm right with you there on those three. The other, is uh, Katrina Matthews. Kat is, is having a good season. She's from Great Britain. Uh, I don't know. For some reason, I wouldn't call her my dark horse, but I would I would not be surprised if she got on the podium. What do you think about Katrina? Yeah, Kat Matthews is definitely, um, she's got a tough mind. She's proven that she has, you know, <laughs> she has the physical potential. I think she ran at, what, 249 in Tulsa, something like that. You know, that's... Right. When a woman is running sub 250 on the marathon in an Ironman, you you have to put them in the list of people who can contend, especially because she's an amazing cyclist as well. So, and she's on an upswing, you know. And that's the thing. That's what's going to be really interesting about St. George's. Um, you know, we've seen a, a long history from mo- so many world championships where Daniela just dominated. We kind of know her history, and Anna showed that she has what it takes to win a world championship. But there's a lot of women who are in that upswing now. They're 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 getting caught in their own draft, if you know what I mean. And so, uh, coming into a race like this early in the season without a lot of prep events, it, it makes it very. It is actually really hard to predict, and I think the surprises are going to be the talk of the day when the race is over and it's in the books. What about Ruth? Ruth Astley. I, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. I have an A-S-T-L-E from Great Britain. She just won Ironman uh, South Africa. As a matter of fact, in 2019, she was the first age group female in Kona and then obviously turned pro after that. Do you believe coming off an event uh, like South Africa at the beginning of the month is going to be sure? It's all your your fans. They just keep calling. Yeah, you know. I, I, I mean, you know, between, you 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 have to get a you got to get a flip phone yeah. for them or something. You know, I know. <laughs> at, least, at least be able to block these people. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. So, so what do you think about Ruth? What, have you have you followed her very well, much, or, or or does a win, you know, a previous win like a few weeks ago, help her? You know that that's a good question. Um, in my opinion, going into an Ironman uh, with a, a win from another Ironman, I think the difference is five weeks. That's kind of a big ask of mm-hmm. your body. You know, Joe Skipper did it. Uh, you know, he was doing South Africa to prep for St. George. He, he didn't quite have the race that he'd hoped for. Uh, and, and as far as Ruth, you know, women in, in general can recover quicker than guys uh, when you're talking about endurance events like this. And I have seen women do the same thing that men have done and the women do better because of it. The guys, they don't recover as quickly. They're just heavier. There's more muscle breakdown, all that kind of stuff. So roundabout way of saying, I think she's somebody that we definitely need to keep an eye on because she's, she's obviously fit. She won the race down there and she's coming in. She's going to have that positive uh, fueling that takes place when you come off a win. You know, you, you recover quicker when you win than when you don't. That's just a, it's kind of like, 
those who win Oscar award Oscars, you know, they live longer than the actors who don't win them. It's just a, it's a fact of life. And so well, I don't want to go into the Oscar thing, but anyway, and so, um, yeah, I think she's somebody that, that needs to be kind of in the mix and I'm glad you brought her, her name up. And, and if you look at it as someone who was a top age grouper, you know, we have another person who mm-hmm. kind of followed that path and that was Lucy, right? Yeah, ex- exactly. How about on the, uh, uh, the American side, we've, you know, the Heather Jackson, Sky Monch. Uh, you, how, how do you think they're going to fare between the two of them? Heather's always got a lot going on, and Sky is, you know, they both had a great battle at Ironman Florida uh, this past November with, with Heather coming out on top. And that, was a, that was a strong race for her. I was really impressed with her race down there. But how do you think those two are going to fare on the St. George course? You know, I'll be honest, unless... Unless they have a breakthrough, I don't think they're going to be at that very top level with, with with the top three who end up being in the top. Whoever ends up being in the top three, just because the the, the talent in the women's field has has really it's just it's just bumping up in magnitudes each year, and the number of women who are figuring out how to train for every single distance is just you know it's very deep, it's very fast, it's and it's not like everybody's just sort of coming up to just below the top level, they're going beyond the top level. I mean, look at, look at Laura right. Phillips. She had, I think she ran a 244 in, in her, it might've been her very first Mar- uh, Ironman a, a, a couple of years ago, you know, fastest run ever. I mean, that's amazing. And uh, then she went, what, three, 353 or something like that in, the, in Dubai. Yeah. So, you know, you have these women that are, figuring it out and not only just figuring it out but they're kind of doing like you know gustav eden and christian blumenfeld are doing they're they're just taking it to that whole new level remember on the men's side we talked about the uh the veteran 45 year old andy potts do you know who our oldest female professional is in the race can you take a guess no i don't know it is, is it Didi? no she's <laughs> Who's who is it? <laughs> yeah, Dee Dee. not racing. I no, didn't I see her on the list. No, Dee Dee. I think Dee Dee's racing. She might be racing Texas. She's racing something. I'm going to, but uh, Meredith Kessler, 43 years old. You know, she's got 20 some Ironman wins under her belt and and uh, been in Kona five times. So Meredith just keeps chugging along. I love seeing the uh, the veterans come out and and mix it up with the young ones. And I think it'll be fun watching her. But the other one who's, uh, I think she's 38 now, Lisa Norton from Sweden. I just like how she races. She's a, she's a wily veteran. I don't know if she'd be mixing it up. In there, but I think she's somebody that could be in the top six or seven just because of her experience. Yeah, what she, do you think about Lisa? She absolutely has the experience. She has, the, the I think, the, sort of that mental patience that it will take to have a good race in St. George. Nobody's gonna nobody's now, gonna win that race just blasting off the front because because of, because of the demand on the marathon course you know it's it's not the kind of race where you can really really just go for it and push the bike and then just sort of float through that marathon because of you know the elevation gain on the marathon it's it's one of the hardest marathon courses out there so she uh, you know she has that that patience that that um, you know that mental experience and that strategy to maybe let some people go a little bit early and then reel them in later. Yeah, and that's how that's how she usually races. Do you have anybody else in mind that 
Uh, you, you, they could have a breakthrough race that changes their career, even if they, you know, finish in the top 10, somebody that you think could set the pace for themselves for the rest of their career? Boy, I just don't know. We, th- there's been a lot of names put out there. And um, I, I think out of everybody who's there, we are going to see some breakthrough performances. I think it will be, it will be hard for Anna Haug to repeat as the champion. She has the potential to, but again, there's a lot of threats. And even with Lucy out of the mix, uh, I think that actually does, again, open it up for a lot of other opportunities because there won't be that big carrot who's out there. I think there's going to be um, a lot more. There might be a number of women who are together the entire race uh, until we get to the marathon when things are going to sift out. Well, I was that that's exactly what I was thinking, Mark. I mean, that you know, obviously the dynamic of the race has changed without Lucy out there. So you think we'll see the six or seven or eight on the bike and then three or four on the run getting off that bike together? That, that would be my ideal as a spectator, you know, as somebody who loves to see a good race. And, and if you, if you kind of look back, um, going back to your very first comment about, Dan, about Danny is that, you know, she, she's somebody that should never be bet against. And she's also shown that she knows how to race on that course. She's raced in St. George a number of times. Mm-hmm. And that's something that a lot of the other women do not have. They, they've never been on that course. They've never raced um, in, in Utah. And it's, it's unique in its own way, just like the Ironman in Hawaii is unique in its own way with just the physicality of the, of the course in Kona, you know, with, with wind and heat, humidity, a certain amount of you know, obviously climbing and descending, you know. But that was St. George, big bike ride, big marathon, dry air. It's, it's a different kind of environment. It could be very fast. It could be the kind of course that where we see uh, some of the most epic blow-ups we've ever seen in an Ironman World Championship. Well, I, I, I don't like to say this because <laughs> the age group, the age groupers will get, but the pros, remember, are always racing earlier in the day. And isn't it amazing? All the Ironmans have been to, the weather seems to start kicking up when the pros are out on the run and, you know, they only got an hour, hour and a half to go. And the age groupers are out there still pounding through the bike. And that's, that's what the weather did the last time we were in St. George. All the men and women pros were basically out on the run when the bad weather came in and the age groupers were on the bike. So the weather in St. George seems to, not like the afternoon as much as it does the morning. <laughs> yeah, just and the I, way it is there. And I think for a lot of the age groupers who are, who will be out there after dark, um, you know, it will get cool again in the evening. And, and so there, mm-hmm. you, you really have to. Everybody, including the pros, ha- has to go there with a lot of different scenarios in mind. Like it might be low sixties when they get on the bike. Are they going to need a little bit of, uh, extra something to keep them warm? It could get hot on the run. It could be a cold day. It could be a windy day. There could be rain. It could be sunny. You have to prepare for so many different conditions. I mean, when you go to Kona, it's like, it will be hot. Okay, (laughs) I got it. You know, you pack your little thing and away you go. St. George, you've got to have warm stuff, cool weather stuff, maybe even two different kinds of wetsuits, and then eventually figuring it out on the day, looking at the weather, and then just hoping for the best, doing the best you can. 
Well, Mark, that's why I'm glad I, dri- I get to drive from San Diego to St. George. I just throw everything I got in the back of the car. So my locker room is ready to go no matter what the weather is. Social media. You know, when you were racing, you'd get on the landline and call Huddle and tell him to get his butt over there because you're going for a 100-miler. Let's go. I mean, that's, that, that's how you communicated and how we all communicated. Now, the social media in a pro's life do you think it's a a help or a hindrance? It, to me, it would be a huge distraction. You know, even if I had a team that was thinking of all the social media that was going to be created around me, and all I did was I just went out and trained and they filmed me, that would still be a huge distraction. And, and I think it's not only a distraction for those who have to keep producing all of this content but it's also in a way it's a distraction for the other athletes who are scrolling through all this stuff you know recovery requires that you just shut things down so maybe at the end of the day you had a long day you're on the couch you're resting you're rehydrated you're you're fueled up you're not using your body but if you're sitting here scrolling through all the social media for hours you're still using your brain and so your brain is not relaxing your brain is not recovering and so it can be it can be a um, hindrance to recovery for those who are looking at the social media the other side of it, though, and, and not to slam it too much because people are watching or listening to this, these kind of things didn't exist years ago, is that it, right. it does give you an insight into what maybe a top person is doing. And it can be an inspiration for you at, at whatever level you're competing at to kind of go, wow, you know, look, look at their position. Look at how they're running. Look at their swim stroke. Look at what they're doing in the gym. And look at what they're eating. Yeah, you know, it can just kind of be that little bit of inspiration for you to like, kind of want to get out there yourself and, and do that type of training. But overall, to get back to your original question, I think it's a huge hindrance that they have to generate all of that, all of the social media, over and over and over throughout the entire year. Well, I, I contacted a. You know, I, I'm not going to go out there and contact all the pros before St. George. Hey, you can be on my podcast because I have a lot of age groupers on, as you know, and things like that. But I did go after just uh, two specifically and just said, hey, if you'd like, you know, and they were so kind. Mike, you know, we'd love to, but we're just shutting those types of things down right now because uh, because the day is filled, the training is filled, and, and we're accentuating on our goals for St. George. And I go, hey, I, I understand that completely. And I'm thinking... Wise on you. I'm glad you turned me down. I, I mean, I really am. It's not a matter of, gosh, I wish they had come on. I, I'm glad they turned me down just because of that reason alone and, and just what you said. So that's, I like that. Mark, you, I've always been a fan of a triathlon, but doesn't it seem like it, it, we're more of a fan today than we have been in a long time just because of what's going on out there with with our these incredible times, these performances, the new, the new blood in the sport, uh, makes you a fan, doesn't it? I, I know personally, I'm I am one thousand percent more fan than I have ever been, and um, you know I've I, I got into the sport in 1982. I raced till 90. Last time I did Ironman was 1995, and um, you know it it just seems like there's been this infusion of a whole new mindset and, and uh, new ways of training and new performances that have come out of that. And just a, 
a, a sort of a, a, an excitement about the different characters who are in our sport. And yeah. um, it really has, it has, it's become something where I think people are finally kind of going, Hey, I, I like this guy. I like this gal. This one, I'm, I, I hope this competition goes the way so that my person wins, you know, that kind of thing. And, and that was seemed to be kind of like the, there was a lull period in there where it just felt like everything was kind of monotone and kind of the same. And maybe it actually had something to do with COVID. Like we kind of got dulled or used to just seeing Ironman every year in October and seeing certain races that we follow each year and 70.3 worlds and exciting, but oh, the same thing every, and then all of a sudden <laughs> there's no world championship one year, yeah. two years, three years. And maybe, you know, it's just given us that, that chance to really be excited that this level of, of competition is, is going to, is coming back and that it's going to take place finally again. Plus the direction of our sport has changed with the different organizations that are putting on different types of events. Uh, you know, everything from, from the, uh, the, the old days of the super sprint, you know, and in Australia to the uh, PTO. How, how do you feel our, our sport's doing in that, in, in that regard? Yeah, there's been a huge growth in different, different formats of racing, even just in the Olympics, having, having mixed relays, yeah. you know, that was... Which was very cool. Jeez, yeah, those were very cool. cool. And people who I spoke to who were not um, triathlon fans or fanatics, they loved the the triathlon relay, the mixed relay. That one, that was the one where they go, "Wow, that was really exciting," kind of a thing. And um, so there's there's just a lot of different formats of competition that people can watch and follow. And and you know, with streaming, it's become kind of more of an accepted way to actually view sports, even right. Olympics. You know, a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. that people watch was purely through streaming on 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 their laptop or on their phone. And triathlon is right there at the forefront of that. It and it was, you know, I had my had my phone with me when I was with the family on the slopes in Utah, and and I get off and I check the Oceanside race and and I see you in the background. I go, damn it, Mark's there, and, and then I I get off and I get back next hour and see it again. Uh, it, it's that on and off thing which you can appreciate because everybody's got their lives and and uh, uh, you know, remember the old days when well, you can't broadcast a race that goes for four to eight hours what who's going to stick around well we go back and forth that's who we are so you're right that streaming is is fantastic for all of us well now mr allen i'm going to put you on the spot give me your Uh predictions top three top three on the men top three on the women who do you think is going to be on the podium i think in the in the women I'm going to put Anna Haug on the podium. I never like to bet against a, a reigning champion, especially one who ha- has actually shown she can race a lot of different distances, a lot of different mm-hmm. conditions. I'm going to put Laura Phillip in there simply because she really does seem to be on the upswing. And, and just out of, out, of, out of respect for who she is and what she's done and her ability to regroup, I'm going to, st- I'm going to put uh, Daniela on the podium also. For, I like those three. Yeah, for um, for the men, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with those who are being coached by a Norwegian coach. You know, there's been a lot of hype <laughs> about it, but uh, forget the hype. You know, it's, I think there's a there's a very real 
value to what they, the Norwegian athletes and those who are being coached by them, i.e. Lionel Sanders, are going to show the world. And uh, that if you are diligent about not just two or three aspects of, of your per- performance, your training, your preparation, but if you look at just absolutely everything and give everything 100% focus, you're going to do something that's pretty amazing and it makes it very tough for the other guys to beat. Outside chances, though, you know, like you said, Cat Matthews for the women, Matthews for the women. Um, you know, don't forget Sam Long. He's been kind of mm-hmm. a little bit quiet as, in terms of who people, not, not many people talking about him, but that guy has a burning drive to do something big. So can't wait for May 7th. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the mental factor, the mental toughness of uh, an individual that a few of them that you talked about is what's going to pull them through to the top because that course is one mentally you've got to you've got to win. Mark, uh, lastly, what's your advice to all the fantastic age groupers coming in from all over the world? So many of them. I, I got a, a a message the other day from a woman who says I've been training to go to a world championship for four years. You know, it's it's like like a forever process. So what's your What's your advice to those age groupers that are coming to St. George? Best thing I can say is, you know, on race day, build into it. It's it's not the kind of race that you can rush your way through, for sure. You have to, you know, build into the swim. Uh, make sure that your your goggles, you can, they're, that they're fog-proof <laughs> because you'll be swimming into the rising oh. sun in the first part of that swim. And on the bike ride, you know, the the majority of the climbing comes in the later part of the, of that ride. So, you know, take that first part easy. It'll feel easy, but make sure that you, it really is. And then when you get to the climbs, don't be in a hurry. Look around. That land is so amazing. It's so beautiful. And if you just have those little snap snapshot moments in your head as you're doing those climbs, it'll completely take your mind off of anything that might be sort of like challenging. And then in the marathon, again, just build into it. Take your time. Know that this is a this is a tough race. This is a world class uh course and that you have been but also keep in mind that you've done the training for it remember all those hours you put in in preparation and know that you're going to get through it and you're going to cross that finish line and that there is going to be this guy named mike riley and he's going to be going you are an iron man olaf you know or whatever your name is and it's going to be and there's going to be the mark allen dude and he's going to be going high five in st george everybody so make it to that finish line yeah please we need we need to see you you know we need to see you at the finish line yeah i'll let you a high five i got a bad shoulder you do the high five and i'll do the yelling how's that <laughs> all right it's a deal <laughs> yeah mark that's great advice for the age groupers because you know there's so much trepidation out there about the race because people have never so many have never done it before but that is fantastic advice so thank you mark allen for all your insight we are one lucky sport to have you in it uh be a part of it for so long you've added passion and commitment and coaching and and you know keep up the mondays with mark and the zwift uh rides uh they're fantastic so i can't wait to see you in st george buddy sounds great thank you mike you're too kind appreciate it <laughs> okay you got it thank you again everybody for listening to another edition of find your finish line 
presented by Activize, the official topical pain relief partner of Iron Man. You can get it in a gel, a spray, or a roll-on, and we will have an Activize and Curad booth at the Expo in St. George. So come by and say hello, get a free sample, and we will be there together. Everybody, take care of yourselves. Until the next time, my warmest aloha.